You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This past week, I've been working on myself as a podcaster, doing a deep dive into all things podcasting at a yearly conference called Podcast Movement. Here, I'm learning how to make better episodes, conduct better interviews, engage with listeners like you even more, and figure out ways to make my podcast both sustainable and profitable. And certainly the goal is to give you and future listeners even more reasons to come back week after week for another episode. At last year's conference, I actually met a guest you've already heard from earlier this season, Ashley Monique Menard. Now, she is energetic, fun, talented, and she and I talked about her own creative journey and especially the idea of patience and what we expect from ourselves. Well, earlier this year, she invited me on her own podcast called F Your Fears. It is a bold and deliberate effort to help artists overcome what holds them back. Because as we all know, fear is one of the biggest reasons why we'll never make it. So while I'm off learning and growing as a podcaster, I wanted to share my conversation with Ashley. You'll certainly learn more about my story and hear it from a unique and quirky perspective that only Ashley can bring, as she shows us all how to F your fears. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the F Your Fears podcast. I am your host, Ashley Monique Menard. I'm a writer, actor, and mother of five beautiful plants, as well as the host of the F Your Fears podcast. Did you know that fear is the number one reason why people don't follow their dreams? This is what I want you to do. I want you to F your fears. I want you to F your fears so hard it's going to get you pregnant. Pregnant with what, you ask? Pregnant with your dreams. Why? Because you won't let that fear that lies inside your head take you down. How's that going to happen? Well, listen to a few of these podcasts and see if it gives you a little bit of inspiration. I've got some wonderful creatives sitting alongside me sharing their stories, hopefully being able to inspire and deliver information that will help you take your career to the next level. No two performers have the exact same story, so I hope you will find some solace in one of them. Thank you so much for listening to the F Your Fears podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share. Now is the time for us to climb in inside our guests soul time to climb inside their brain and learn all the things that they've learned are you ready i'm ready this is gonna be so much fun let's dive in hello my friends welcome this week i had an incredible chat with one of the stars of stage and screen mr patrick oliver jones he had he started in his early roots of growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, did the theater scene, did the choir. We dive into all of that, which led him eventually to working for Disney for many years, as well as working in Vegas, working off-Broadway, national tours, and pre-Broadway in the First Wise Club in Chicago. So we talk about all of that, as well as his work in commercials and voiceover, which has led to one of the things that he's doing right now, which is the incredible industry podcast called Why I'll Never Make It. I have had so much fun listening to his podcasts. And last month, he had one of my all-time favorite ones. He had Jeffrey Owens. Um, and the title of that episode is so much more than just Elvin on The Cosby Show. I was a big Cosby Show fan whenever I was a kid. So I was super stoked to see that he had Jeffrey on his podcast. So part one and part two, his part two, Jeffrey opens up and talks about the Trader Joe photo and shift happens. Uh, <laughs> you're in for such a treat. Patrick is just such a... Uh, such a joy, such an intelligent man who is a brilliant writer, and I'm I'm a really big fan of his. So I do hope that you enjoy his weekly conversations and insight on the fine lines between setbacks and successes in the performing arts. He talks to creatives about their journey, and I'm I'm just so inspired by him because he's so much more I don't know professional than I am. <laughs> 
like in a way like he's he's so polished and put together and i i just i really really appreciate him all a little bit more all over the place which hey you know it is what it is but um i am such a big fan and i can't wait for you to be able to keep listening to this podcast so it's time it's time you guys and if you're a performer here in new york city and you need to get yourself some new headshots reach out to my buddy you gotta go to gabe gabe awan over at queen self tape and photography check out the show notes you'll see his link and he's just the best guy to go get your new headshots for and even if you want to do like any self tapes right now and you need some help with self tapes gabe is the guy to go to he's got extremely affordable prices so with that said everybody let's go ahead and bring patrick out this is going to be such fun i'm so stoked let's do it patrick i'm so excited that you're here on the show well i'm so happy to be talking to you me too you're a hoot and so I, I I can't wait. I can't wait. You're hit. It's funny because um, my first question that I always ask people is, go ahead and tell everybody how we know each other. And so, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so you and I, we know each other roundabout ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, my husband, Dylan. I do. I do. Yes. And, and, and you, you and he have known each other a few years now. A few yes? years. Yeah. We both did Actoria together. Right. It, and Dylan is a, a brilliant singer, such a, a wonderful singer, a terrific performer. Yeah. 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 And, you know, he's a pretty good person. I like to think. And so. a good person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, that, that, that too, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so you and I kind of know each other through him. Mm-hmm. And then recently we both did podcast movement, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to better ourselves in this uh, new arena. Uh, although I've been doing it for about three years now. You've, you've been doing it for about three months, three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you've been thinking about it for a long time uh but yeah i've been yes. thinking about it but so. we all know thinking and doing are too fastly mm. yes yeah. yes very different but uh yeah so you and i kind of know each other in the podcasting world mm-hmm. and then you came on my show mm-hmm. so yeah so now i'm reciprocating yes i and, love and, it I'm, and joining your audience i'm so happy so happy that you're here so okay um after your first podcast, we talk about, you know, we talk about your career and I find that it's helpful for the audience because no two performers careers are exactly the same. And so whenever you see the trajectory of someone else, I find for my own personal well-being, it's beneficial because it's, it's inspirational. How'd they get there? What they do? What road did they take? And it's always different. And, yeah. and I love those. I love those stories. So I'm so happy that you're here to share your story with us. So um, I guess I'll just like really start at the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. That's right. I'm I'm a good uh, Southern boy. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah, F- yeah. Full of the Southern charm mm-hmm. and the hospitality and all that. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know. Oh, I do know. Yeah. Lafayette, yeah. Louisiana. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> so there you were. Little Patrick was a little boy over in Alabama. Mm-hmm. What were you getting into when you were a kid? Um, I would say that as, as as a kid, I was always one to to explore things, mm-hmm. to like figure out what's doing this and who's doing that. I I, I was one to I tended to be around uh, you know, certainly kids in school, but I was around a lot of adults. And so I was always talking to, to my mom's friends. So I, I felt like I could or at least in my mind, I could converse with anyone, you know, mm-hmm. adult or kid. Um, so I, but I was always just very curious. And probably the best example of this is that my mom worked in a hospital. And there was one time I think I was, I, she was, she worked in the lab and I was in the, uh, like kind of the waiting area, you know, while she was getting done with work and then we were going to, uh, we were about to, to go home. And I, I I must have been very young. I'd never seen one of those red boxes that's on the wall that says pull down. I was like, what is that? Like what 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 happens if I pull down? Mm. I mean, I'm 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 a little kid. Yeah, yeah. So I pull down immediately the bell. Yeah. And and at first I'm like, what's that? And then in my head I go, I think I did that. And then I just sat back down and I just sat on the, on the couch in the waiting room. I just looked down. I didn't look up. I was going, and, and all these people were like going back and I just looked down and then, and then my mom comes out and she said, did you do that? And I just nodded my head. Like, so, so that was me just very curious and inquisitive. And if I see something, it's like, 
oh, what does this do? <laughs> oh my God. So, yeah. so at what point did creativity become a big thing in your life? Like at what point did the arts kind of start to grab you and, and hold you? Um, it really came about through, uh, through going to church and my, my, my mom joined the church choir and around third grade, I joined the, the mm-hmm. church choir for my age group. And so it really just kind of started then. I, I, I remember being in like first or second grade and we had to like create these like little skits based upon, uh, you know, a, a story we were hearing, either a history story or something. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I remember kind of like dabbling and enjoying that and playing dress up. But the the choir was really the first chance I had to like uh, kind of understand what it meant to sing and sing with others. And then we would do uh, little church musicals or this or that. So that was my first introduction to that. And in the fourth grade, that's when I got my first starring role as the shepherd boy. So, of course. Wow, that's I, a big I, role. Well, I'm the one who announces Jesus is coming. Yeah. So I'm I I literally had to start in the back of the sanctuary, run down the aisle, get on stage, and like sing about Jesus. And I was completely out of breath because I had never practiced that hard of a run oh before. God. You know, so it's stuff like that. So, yeah. so that's what really got me into it. And so there you are growing up in Alabama and you're singing in the church. And you're doing the school projects that pop up. At what point were you like, yeah, like this is what I want to do? It probably wasn't until high school that I thought, oh, maybe I could like do this. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I actually, there was um, a Christmas radio play that happened and they were like gathering actors. And it was my first time to do something outside of a school environment. Ooh. Yeah. So, so that's me. That started to make me think, oh, well, maybe I could like do this when I get to college. Maybe I could study it. I, I still wasn't really sure if it would be making a living or doing mm-hmm. that. So it was, you know, I was still kind of on the fence, but I knew that it was something I enjoyed, something I wanted to continue doing, uh, even in college and in, in, in some, some form or another. So then in high school, since you kind of thought, okay, maybe it could be a possibility. What did you think you would be when you grew up, when you were in high school? Like what, did you have a a thing that was at the front of your, of your head? Well, I had, it was around, I think it was probably junior high that I started also being a part of the audiovisual department at the church. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, just loved being a part of, of, of audio and doing sound. And then, then there was some video stuff and just all the cool equipment that, that you got to press buttons on, you know, so I, I loved mm-hmm. all that stuff and, and learning the equipment. So broadcasting and that kind of thing was something that I really thought about. Cause I remember I, I asked the, the guy who was heading it up, what, what did, what did you study in college? Where, where did you go? What? And he was like, mass communication. That's what I studied. So it was like in junior high that was planted. It's like mass communication. Maybe that's what I'll do. So yeah. that is eventually what I got my degree in in college. Oh, that's amazing. So so you get to college and mm-hmm. you get your degree in mass communications, but do you do any theater in college? Yeah, yeah. I mean, from from the get-go, I I was first a music major, mm-hmm. then then that lasted a semester. Then I went to theater. That lasted a semester. Then I just went undecided. I was like, oh, okay, all right. And and then that's when I finally went, you know, mass communications, what I've been thinking. And it was in broadcasting, mm-hmm. which is kind of, uh, I got to learn the behind the scenes of TV film production. Mm-hmm. So I was like, one way or the other, this can be useful, mm-hmm. whether I'm in front of the camera or behind it. So that's what I landed on. And I started doing the college radio, which I loved being behind oh, the mic and yeah. spinning the tunes of smooth jazz, you know? Oh, that's great. Did you have like a, a name? Oh, I was PJ the DJ. Of course I was. <laughs> PJ. PJ the DJ. That's right. I am a sucker for anything that rhymes or alliteration. I Yeah. So, yeah. And if it's punny, all the better. Mm, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So that was my name on the radio. And and yes, I was doing theater as well. I fortunately it was a it was a, a small private college called Samford University in Birmingham, mm-hmm. which may, maybe you've heard of. Have you heard of that? No, Samford. I haven't heard of Samford. 
they're they're known in Birmingham and and certainly within Alabama as as having a great music program, which is oh, part great. of the reason why I chose them. And they gave me a scholarship, so it's like, well, thank you. So I'll, I'll yeah. go since yeah. you're going to give me a scholarship. Oh, thank and you. Yeah, thank you. So because it was small enough, I was able to from freshman year audition. And even though I wasn't a theater major at that time, I was able to audition and get in Once Upon a Mattress was the first show that I did. Yeah, which was a lot of fun. Playing the oh. minstrel. Oh, yes. what a yeah. good show. Oh, oh, it's such a good show. And we had such a great group of people that, you know, for the next four years, we 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 did a lot of things together. And so I ended up with a theater minor. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I still put all my theater stuff to use as far as a minor. What were some of the other shows you did in college? It was it was a lot of unknown and okay. it's really the it's really the only time in my performing life that I got to do a lot of plays because we we did mm. yeah we we did this one called Becoming Memories which was kind of a tough show to do I called it Becoming Migraines because it was such mm. a hard show to do and it just it, it just became a labor you know you know those shows that you go into and it's no longer fun or artistic it's just a labor yeah. And so that it was one of those kind of shows. And then um The Night Thoreau Spent in Jail. Mm. We did six characters in search of an author, JB. It's like all these kind of obscure 60s, 70s kind of plays that have these deep meanings and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So it was uh it was very heady kind of mm. stuff. It wasn't um it wasn't until my senior year that they finally did something fluffy. I mean, Once Upon a Mattress is kind of fluffy. Mm -hmm. But but it, but even they didn't do a lot of musicals. It wasn't until my senior year that the music department and theater department went, "Oh, we could do some co-productions." <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, they finally decided to start. So then they they were doing like Kiss Me Kate. They did Into the Woods, which I I wasn't able to do Into the Woods, but I but yeah, so they finally started to work together. But mm -hmm. by that point my senior year, I was doing community theater, which is mm -hmm. why I couldn't do Into the Woods. So I started okay. to branch out and do other things uh, outside of college. Okay, so when you were doing, well, I just have to say, um you'd be so good as one of the princes singing Agony in <sighs> I it's mean, it's it's like it's like one of my one of my dream roles. I, yeah. I've maybe passed my prime in that, but I think I could could nail it. Yeah. I think you I think I don't think you're past your prime in that. I think it's <laughs> I definitely think it's possible. So yeah. there you were a community theater and because spoiler alert, eventually moved to New York. Yes. <laughs> so that's coming. Did what um was was community theater kind of like a a gateway to I want to I want to pursue this or did that come later by the time you you know yeah it it was really in college that I think especially once I nailed down the broadcasting degree mm -hmm. that that I saw it as this is my backup degree this is my kind of furthering giving me some background knowledge especially if I ever do TV film Mm -hmm. of that world but i'm going to pursue theater mm -hmm. and so in in summer i did the summer stock and then once community theater uh i i got to do uh i got to finally do man of the mancha i oh. got to do um what what else to uh look homeward angel the, the play you know yeah. um and, and and so i got to start doing other things that made me think oh okay and i was paid for those mm -hmm. jobs you know, I mean, just I it, it. my first job was 150 a week. So it wasn't much but at still. all. Still, <laughs> But you know what? I was being paid. Yeah. I was making money actually performing. It was the first time that I'd ever done that. So every summer I, I, I found work and, and was doing things. And then in between times more, once I got into junior and senior year, that I got to to do stuff during the school year. Mm -hmm. And it, it was it, it was funny. I actually did Hershey Park one summer. Mm -hmm. And because of it, I showed up a week late to school and <laughs> right. So I showed up a week late and I missed the audition for Joseph. But because I had done Joseph the summer before at another theater, they just let me do it. <gasps> so it was like, it was like, oh, that's yeah. wonderful. So, so I, I really started to feel like, oh, I'm at home in theater. I can do this. And I, I, I didn't even have to audition for that one. So that was nice. And they're just, yeah. so it's really made me start to have some confidence in mm -hmm. my own ability to do this and making, making me think, oh, I, I could continually find work and just, you know, piece together a career out of this. 
So you finished with college. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking you're going to do next? Well, fortunately, I went to um, I went to SETC, the Southeastern mm-hmm. Theater Conference, and from there I booked. Uh, it was it turned out to be how long was that? It was seven months. So right out of college, in 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 May, I think. In May of my graduating year, I started with a community theater up in, it was a regional theater up in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so for seven months, we did uh, we did Camelot, Singing in the Rain, Tempest, and Oliver. Oh, so it was like, wow. it was like four shows. It's my one and only time to do Shakespeare. So, <laughs> you know, so it, it gave me a, a good launching pad right out of college, just graduated, yeah. and I'm already working professionally, you know? So, yeah, I know, which That's is... amazing. Yeah. It was amazing and so smart. And so smart to go... Because what was it? What was... You said it was a convention? Oh, no, it was a, it was a regional theater uh, called Cumberland County Playhouse. Cumberland County. But before that, you said that you went to a... Um... Oh, 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 yeah, the Southeastern Theater Conference. How smart. Yeah. Very yeah, smart. and so every every spring they have the the amateur version of it, you know, mm-hmm. for college students and that kind of thing. And then the fall they do a professional one. And the that that year, when I was doing Cumberland County Playhouse, so I I finally because I was a professional now, I'm being mm-hmm. paid. I could go to the professional audition in the fall for <sighs> SETC, and that's how I booked my next job, which was Disney World. Okay, so let's like. It's yeah. a small world after all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I am, I'm, I'm a big fan of Disney. Not a lot of people are, but I am I'm totally kidding. Like everyone loves Disney. Like it's Disney, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a piece of our childhood. It's, it's, it's Disney. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. What, what was that like stepping into that world? Well, this was, I, I, I love the beginning story because so, so let's see, I had finished. Um, I had finished Cumberland County Playhouse in like November-ish, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And, and so, and so I, I just needed work for, you know, for, for however long. And there were some friends of mine that worked at this, uh, this kind of youth camp and they, they, they did stuff throughout the winter, kind of preparing for the spring and summer months. So I was working in the office, just doing envelopes and I get this call from Disney on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And, and they're saying, and now I had auditioned in September, Uh heard nothing, 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 nothing. Christmas Eve, they call me and say, Hey, you know, we, we saw you at SETC. We would like to offer you the role of Victor, the gargoyle in Hunchback of Notre Dame, (gasps) Disney world. And so, you know, I'm just going, uh, well, yes, more money than I'd ever seen 600 a week. Yeah. And my equity card. So it's like, of course, mm-hmm. of course, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, a month prior to that, I had been offered again from that SETC, I'd been offered a job to do to work at this uh, summer theater, doing like a Rogers and Hammerstein review. Ooh, and I had already said yes to that. And they had sent me the, the, uh, the contract, and I had signed it and was actually going to mail it that day. And then Disney called. And so I never mailed it. Obviously, I took Christmas break to think about it. And then I called them the Rogers and Hammerstein. I was like, I, I'm going to do Disney. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Okay. So you get there. What was that first week like? Well, everyone goes through what's called traditions. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's basically their way of bringing you into the Disney family. And it's a, I think at the time it was two or three days of, of the history of Disney, of the, the culture and they were, their buzzword that whole time was synergy, you know, because Disney does movies, they do theme park, they do television, they do, you know, they're, they got hands everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it was all about just talking about the company and how you fit into the company and how important you are. And that, and that and that's really something that they're that they're about because I was in in this traditions class with people who were going to be doing rides, who were going to be serving food, and so we were all mixed in together, and all mm-hmm. of us were a part of 
the show, which is what mm-hmm. they called it, and why we're all called cast members. Mm-hmm. So it really was a different way. I I mean, I had I think I'd been to Disney World as a young, young child. So I didn't really have any specific memory of it. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting to kind of get to know. I remember the first the first time when we took a tour where we, you know, there was like, I don't know, 10 or 15 of us, and we would walk out into Magic Kingdom and just kind of walk around to the different parks. And so this is my first time to to see it as an adult and kind of have those eyes. But then, of course, the big the big to do is once you finish traditions, Mickey comes and thanks you for joining the company. So, I mean, how how can you not? I, I mean, it's it, even, I know even as an adult, when Mickey walks into a room and is like shaking your hand, it's it's still a magical thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Disney. <laughs> you you ruined my potential of ever having a normal functioning relationship because of all the narcissistic princes. But geez, I love you so much. <laughs> I can't help it. Okay. So so there you are. And how long, how long were you at Disney for? Well, I started in 97 mm-hmm. and I was there full time until 2006. Yeah. So nine years. Wow. People yeah. love Disney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my goal was to go there for a year because mm-hmm. it's a year long contract, mm-hmm. do hunchback, get my equity card, go to New York, mm-hmm. but life had other options. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I, I got very comfortable there. I had my own apartment. I had my own mm-hmm. car. I had, you know, my own yeah. furniture, you know, I, I had a life. And then, and then I met who was going to be my my wife mm-hmm. and was there for four years, married to her. So I mean, mm-hmm. it was just it, it became a whole other life. And that dream of going to New York was kind of put put aside. I thought, well, I can just make a living here. I'm performing. I'm yeah. getting paid. I'm with wonderful people. You know, I have a wife. I have a home. So it's like, okay, well, now this is my life. Mm-hmm. So that kind of became where I settled into for for many of those years. Okay. So at what point? Did you make some recasting decisions in your life and right. and and scene yeah. changes and uh yeah. Yeah, it was 2001 that my wife and I we were both cast to go to Disney Tokyo Disney Sea, which was okay. just just opening up in Tokyo oh. and you know because they had Tokyo Disneyland but mm-hmm. now they're adding the second part Disney Sea. And I was cast in the encore show singing Broadway tunes and she was cast in sail away i think it was called which was kind of this waterfront kind of old-timey show with dancing and and singing that kind of thing so so we both had two different shows and it was a nine-month contract so we were we were there Mm -hmm. and it was through that experience and that kind of time when professionally things were going well but personally not going well Mm -hmm. as far as our marriage and so it was probably a couple of years after that, after the ups and downs of this and that, that we, we finally got divorced. And it was at that time that I, that's when I really had to kind of sit back. I moved into my own place, you know, <laughs> out of a two-story home in a oh, nice wow. neighborhood back to my one-bedroom apartment. And so really having to think about, okay, now what do I want to do with my life? Yeah. So. This was around, yeah, this was around 2002, 2000, no, 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 this was 2004 at this point. Um, so I'm just trying to, now, my wife and I, when we came back from Disney, we, we once again went into, uh, back to Disney World, doing Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. And so we were still both in that show through the separation and divorce. And so it was, mm. you know, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting year to, uh, to you be divorced. You didn't perhaps play Beast and she played Belle. No, no, but I was Gaston and she was a swooner. Oh. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. 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 So, so that was interesting. That's that a tough breakup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there were, you know, I don't need to get into all the nasty details, mm-hmm. but there were, there were other people that, you know, that made, made it a little, a little tense sometimes yeah. in yeah. the, in the, the trailer, as we called it, because we were actually in a trailer behind the, the stage. 
So that lasted a year. I was finally moved over to another show called Hoop Dee Doo Review, which Ooh. I absolutely loved. It's like a, a, a turn of the century pioneer show, six characters, three men, three women, and just a fun dinner show that lasts about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, the probably the funnest thing I did during my time at Disney. And so oh, I was fun. there full time. So at least I was away from the stage and was able to start to put some distance there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so for the next year, two years, I'm just trying to figure out, well, okay, am I staying here? Am I doing this? I'm, I, I, I eventually get into another relationship and, but realized just that that isn't going anywhere. And so because of that, I decide to, I just need to leave Orlando. I need to cut ties with Disney, Orlando, mm-hmm. put all this behind me. So mm-hmm. I go to Vegas. I mean, <laughs> from one extreme to the next, from okay. Disney World, sunshine and wonderfulness to topless dancers and G-strings. Yeah. What, what, what made you go to <laughs> Vegas as opposed to New York? Because you had already had that idea of New York. Yeah. It had kind of been in your, in your head. What, what swayed you to, to Vegas? Well, I, I had been in around 2005, I started making trips you know, every couple of months or so because of my schedule at hoop doo I was uh, off for three days a week. So uh-huh. from time to time, I could just go up to New York and audition. So every now and then, you know, I, I dipped my toe in that water just to kind mm-hmm. of see what does a New York audition feel like. Mm-hmm. So I did have that in mind, but then auditions came for Vegas. It was to do a classic Vegas show called Jubilee. And I thought, well, well, this this could be my chance to have work and get out of Orlando, which were which which are two of my main goals. Mm-hmm. Yes, New York was a big goal, but just having because I knew if I went to New York, it would be not having work and not having any sense of when the next job's gonna come. But yeah. Vegas would be a chance to leave and have work. So that's mm-hmm. really how that came and I just kind of went on a lark. You know, at I I I wasn't really sure because they uh, they happened to come to Orlando and was holding auditions. I think, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 people showed up. So it wasn't a lot, but, oh, wow. but, but, but yeah, so I, I, I happened to get cast from that and there's only how many, there are four, it's either four or six. See, it, it, it's so far back. I can't remember, but, but there's only like four or six male singers and then the same female singers. So mm-hmm. the, they're not casting a lot, but I was still chosen. So I was like, well, sure. Yeah, let's do this now. Once I got there, then I finally saw what the heck I had just signed up for. Yeah. And I was immediately going, oh my God, what have I done? Because it's 90 minutes of, it's really just a review show. Nothing relates to anything. It's song, go to song, go to new costume change, different place, another song. Like, mm. like there's snippets of a, over a hundred songs in the show. And it's just, it, it just goes from one to the, it's just spectacle. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. There's no art. There's no story. There's, there's no right. There's no character. So it was very different from any of the other stage work that I had done. Mm-hmm. And so, at what point are you like, "Hey, I'm done with Vegas. I'm going to go somewhere <laughs> new." Yeah, the their contracts are six months at a time. Okay. And so the six months came up. I was like, "Well, I I don't really have any other prospects." So. I, you know, I decided to just do one more six month and just see, see how it goes, you know, because at the time I'd signed with an agent there, Mm -hmm. I was doing some modeling, I was doing some commercials, I was doing, you know, so I was continuing a lot of the kind of uh, side work that I I was doing in Orlando, because Orlando, I also did commercials, but I was able to do it a a bit more uh, there because I had all my days free Mm -hmm. when it came to to Vegas, because the show was just at night. Um. So yeah, so I decided to stick it out another six months. But after that, then I realized, okay, it is now time. I signed with an agent that was in Vegas and had an office in New York. So then I was like, okay, there, there we go. Now that I have this, now I can move and at least sign with an agent, you know, because she was able to work out for me to meet with them and, and they signed me whenever I moved to New York. So that, I think that was the biggest thing that led me to go, okay, now is the time. So you get to New York. Mm-hmm. Yes. What was that <laughs> like? Well, fortunately, there we're, we're, I'll kind of skip over the, the 
the route that I went. I knew that I wanted to get to New York, mm-hmm. but getting to New York meant having money. So <laughs> for six months, right? Mm-hmm. So for six months before getting to New York, I, I went with a cruise ship. And so I, I told the agent in Vegas, okay, I'm, I, I want to get to New York, but I'm going to do this cruise ship. And then I would love to meet with the New York office. So she was like, great. So I did that, the cruise ship, banked a lot of money. And then after that cruise ship, packed up my wares in Orlando, put stuff in storage, and then, and then headed to New York. And fortunately, I was able to room with someone that I'd met on the ship. Mm-hmm. So he, he needed a roommate. And so it worked out perfectly for that. And Getting to New York, I was actually living in Jersey City outside Ooh. of New York, mm-hmm. but it was an hour 15 to get into the city just with trains and walking. And then on the weekends, it was like an hour and a half. So it was, it, I, I was close to the city, quote mm-hmm. unquote, but it was still a trek to get in there. And it was really just so different from any, from any, you know, certainly being in the South where everything is a drive away and Vegas the same way. So to walk everywhere, the the figuring out the subway i mean for the first few months i was going in the wrong direction often about like mm-hmm. wait am i going this way am i on the right train at the right time so it was just the city life is itself something to get used to much less auditions being there at six o'clock in the morning you know all all, all the rigmarole of just trying to book an audition mm-hmm. uh, the the city living is really its own hurdle to come over and so once you got here in the city and you you got into the biggest pond of them all, mm-hmm. you know, did, was there ever a time that you thought, maybe this wasn't the right idea in the beginning? I, yeah, yeah. In, in the beginning, I, I wouldn't say so. Okay. I, I, I knew it was going to be tough. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I got acclimated to, to kind of the wear and tear of, of that daily grind. But I would say within the first few years, I didn't, I didn't think I'd made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I was, I think that's because I, I was fortunate enough to, to start booking work. You know, the first summer I was there, I, I booked a couple of things, uh, regional. And, and so I started making money. So I was able to, to pay rent. I was able to, to feel like I was progressing and, and my agent seemed to really like me. So I had a lot of good signs telling me, yes, you're in the right place. You're, you're, you're doing something. So it was a little easier to feel like I was, I was in a home rather than feeling like I I needed, you know, I had made a mistake. So, so at what point, like, what was the first thing that you got here in the city that you were like, this is my big break. Like this is. Well, the first thing is, so this is the first summer that I got there. Mm-hmm. And Tale of Two Cities was was auditioning. It, it was it was a Broadway show that lasted I, I don't know maybe like three months, so it didn't mm-hmm. end up doing very well. But at the time, it was kind of going to be the next Les Mis. That's what mm-hmm. it was being touted as. So I, I I did the audition, and then I got a call back, and I was in the room with Warren Carlyle. Mm-hmm. So this is me, two or three months moving to New York, and I'm in the room with Warren Carlyle, who who wasn't quite the name that he was. That I mean, he was still known, but obviously become a much bigger name now. Mm-hmm. But in that audition, I, I, I mean, the song, the song was like in my voice. It was mm-hmm. like, great. I got this. This mm-hmm. is, this is great. I, I know this. I was, uh, so I knew the song, the scene work. I thought I knew. And then when I get into the audition, he's giving me director or I'm trying to do this. And it, it was, it didn't go as seamlessly as the, the song work. So mm-hmm. I was like, I was visibly frustrated in the audition. I even said shit one time because I was just upset with myself. <laughs> and I, Warren's like, it's okay. It's okay. Just take it again. So, I mean, I, I visibly showed my frustration in that yeah. audition. Yeah. So it was, uh, I, I, again, I didn't think I'd made a mistake. I just knew that, okay, I did not prepare as well as I thought. You know, the, the moment, you know, I'm auditioning for my first Broadway callback. And it was, it was like a, a, a moment that I, I knew this, if this goes well, this is, this is why, why I came here. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot riding on that audition of just self-imposed, this has to happen. Yeah. You know? It's tough dealing with that, especially, especially with how high the stakes are. You know, it's mm-hmm. like going into surgery 
for a callback. It's like, a, <laughs> better go well or else I'm dead. No, right. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's definitely, it's definitely nerve wracking. What, um, what tip could you give to people out there in terms of not to sound so cheesy, but the act of pairs, like what, what do you do in order to get yourself in the right mindset to go into an important callback? I know for the auditions when I I've I've done the best, I felt the best are the ones that I really connected with the character, which which is something that you can't really always know about, but it mm-hmm. it does help whenever the character relates to you in some way. And so that means that you really have to pick roles. Now when you're when you're first starting out, I was just taking everything. But there were those times where I started to really pick the characters, the song choices, the type of stories that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And so though that certainly helps to begin with. But that aside, it's knowing the material and really, you know, it it is preparing it. I mean, mm-hmm. it is knowing it. I I rarely go into a room memorized. So so it's it's not that. It's not that I, I know everything verbatim, but it is me knowing the the arc of where I want to go. It it knows you know, just that mental image of, oh, I'm halfway down this page. I know that I'm I'm going in this direction now. Oh, I'm about to say this line or tell this story. So it's knowing the ins and outs and flow of the scene so that when I get in the room and it's a reader I've never met before, I can play with them and, and take the scene where I, I want it to go, you know, make those choices. Mm-hmm. And in those instances where I've been able to 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 play and I've been able to go off the reader and then go off the director if he gives notes. Those are the ones that that feel the best to me because, because I, I, I know the beginning, the middle, the end, and I have those markers. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's really good advice. Now, there had to have been a couple of moments where you had some, some fear that kind of mm-hmm. creeped in. Yeah. In those moments where you get scared, what do you do? Do you run? <laughs> do you do you freeze what's your what's what's your how do you combat fear yeah i would say that you know and i'll, I'll, I'll kind of do it you know one answer personally one answer professionally mm-hmm. as far as professionally you know in in the moment of an of an audition or uh especially if i have a script then it is it it it's the script is almost like my my only friend in there. The the reader can be too. Mm-hmm. If if they're a good reader, they can really be your friend. Mm-hmm. But if, if I have a script, then I I hold on to that. I also because I tend to want to rush, and then I just want to say my lines, and I just want to, and so I have to okay, slow down. Mm-hmm. If I need to hear what the reader said, look down. It's it, it's it's really about breathing through it because. Mm-hmm. You know, and which is what I didn't do in that Warren Carlisle audition. I was yeah. just trying to say the next line, get it out. I was trying to make that choice. Look, look I can act. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. rather than what am I trying to say? Here's 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 that line. So it's 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 about being deliberate and really taking your time with it. So for me, in an audition setting, that's that's how I can kind of confront that fear or nervousness. Mm-hmm. Personally, I I don't go through it as well. I tend to, you know, kind of either, either stay in bed a lot or I, I, or I just watch TV mm-hmm. or I, I eat. I love to eat. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. good. Especially yeah. good, good little yummy things. Yeah. You know, so I, I tend to really self-medicate in those kind of ways when it comes to my own personal fear. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it can be a little harder for me to make, like, like it would be nice if the application of breathing taking my time, making a deliberate choice in the acting room if I put that in my own personal life because I tend to to not do that. I tend to avoid it or I tend to kind of hem and haw around it, especially if like it's, if it's involves someone else, Mm -hmm. then I may not, you know, I'll just kind of retreat. I tend to be a very, as, as extroverted as I can be, my natural inclination is to close that door and just kind of be behind my own little curtain Mm -hmm. and, and just let let myself ruminate in this so it's it's tough to get out of that well you've spent so much time behind curtains <laughs> right you really have yeah. i mean you've yeah. had you've had such a successful career as a performer you really have just working in so many different markets and i think that 
I think that it's incredible that you've been able to fuse your your past experience with broadcasting into the realm where you are now because your Mm -hmm. podcast is your podcast is so amazing it really is it's so amazing it's so inspirational um and could you could you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and what i know we're skipping ahead a little bit but like what what made you decide you wanted to do a podcast three years ago yeah, so it it actually came about so you know around 2015 I think when when Serial and This American Life was really gaining steam and everyone was kind of talking about this, this new I didn't really know I think I'd heard the word podcast but didn't really know what it was until mm-hmm. then that I started to understand oh it's these like these little like audio things that you can listen to like Audible or something mm-hmm. so I, I I first heard of it then then I got into probably so like four so that's probably like four years ago five years ago that uh there was a podcast called my dad wrote a porno uh yeah which yeah, which is yeah. which is hysterical yeah. and, and as the name implies this this son's father had written a porn book and so chapter by chapter episode by episode he reads it it's hysterical mm-hmm. so that made me think oh this medium could be something more than just like a news story which is kind of what this American life felt like. So it got me thinking, oh, this could really be something where I just talk and banter with people and laugh. And a friend of mine and I had just done a reading. We had good banter. I He, he was different from me in some ways, but also we, we uh, connected well. So I approached him about starting a podcast. We didn't really know what it was going to be. Or I just knew we wanted to talk, have fun, and just kind of banter back and forth. And I thought people might want to listen to that. So we honed it in on on performing arts and we came up with this one segment where we talked about, okay, well, here's the reason why I'll never make it because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I get nervous or I get jealous or, you know, and, and so we would come up with all these reasons why we're not going to make it. And that was one segment of it. And we had people listen to it and they really liked that segment. Mm-hmm. So we just said, okay, scrap all the other, let's just do a show about that. So we mm-hmm. came up with why I'll never make it. And it originally began with me and my co-host talking about why we'll never make it, why we're still here, what keeps Mm -hmm. us going. And then we get into an interview. Mm -hmm. Once he left for Greener Pastures, he had his own thing he wanted to do. I became the solo host and I wasn't able to do that banter back and forth, Mm -hmm. but I still want to incorporate that sense of setbacks and and challenges and how we overcome them and, and what holds us back. And getting that kind of sense of what is making it mean to people. And yeah. and so that's what the podcast has now become, of just getting a sense of how are people facing challenges? How are they still finding success when they don't, when they're rejected, which is a lot of this business? Yeah. How do they keep going? So yeah. that's and so <laughs> I, I get pushed back a lot on the title because guests will say, Well, why do I want to be on a show that says why I'll never make it? I, I want to make it. I am making it. You know, mm-hmm. they, and, but I think once they listen to it, especially once they come on the show, they get a sense of, oh, now, now I see what you're doing. Yeah. You're trying to give a sense because it goes back to an Andre de Shields. Mm-hmm. He, he gave that, that Tony Ward winning speech that about the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. It's, mm-hmm. it's all about, we never make it. We never really get to a point where, oh, well, done. Okay, I can sit back. I guess if you're Seinfeld and you did a show, then you never need to work again. But even he wants to he do other things. Still, but yeah. he still does comedy. Yeah, he's still cranking it out. It's not like yeah. he's one, he's, he's, I mean, he could live off that. Same yeah. with all the friends. I mean, any successful person doesn't just stop, generally. Mm-hmm. They continue to create. They continue to do something else. That peak, that wonderful mountain, just propelled them to another mountain. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we'll never make it because we're constantly in a sense of making it. Mm-hmm. And we'll also never make it because once we've made it, then, then we've stopped. Then we're not growing. We're not pushing ourselves. We're not, you know, so there, there's, it's, you know, Layers. it's a very layered, it's a very layered title now. I love that. I love that. You were also in, um, you were also in the First Wives Club when they were doing it over yes. in Chicago. In Chicago. Tell me yeah. what that was about. Cause that was coming to Broadway and then the pandemic. Oh, happened, it was coming. Or, oh, it was, right? it was, it was coming. So this yeah. was 2015. 
yeah. when, that, when that was happening. And, and, and yeah, the, I, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the workshop, which mm-hmm. was that, that fall before. And then in 2015, for three months, we, we rehearsed in New York and then we went to Chicago for two months. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, they were spending money right and left. They, it was like, this is coming to Broadway. They wanted mm-hmm. to, to put their stamp on it. They were constantly rewriting. There, there was one girl, oh, I felt for this, this song was a country song. Then it was a pop song. Then it was like a soul rock song. Then it was like, and, and the lyrics were changing. So there were seven different versions of that song. And she would rehearse in the day, do it a different one at night. It was, so I mean, it was that kind of craziness where they were, con- our, our finale changed, kept changing, you know, <laughs> this little bit. And me, not a dancer. So let's do that kick, but add this to it and then push this over here. And so oh I'm like trying to remember different dances. I'm going, what? Yeah. So it was, it was a struggle in that sense. But at the same time, the, the book writing was good. We were using classic Motown songs as well as new songs by, mm-hmm. by that writing team. And so it was actually becoming a great, really fun musical, kind of in the vein of a, of a nine to five, you know, of, mm-hmm. of, of strong women leading the show. Mm-hmm. And we had, I mean, we had Carmen Cusack before she was Carmen Cusack, mm-hmm. you know? So she was amazing. Faith Prince, of course, mm-hmm. wonderful. Just a wonderful human mm-hmm. being, but also like a masterclass of just sit back, Let's watch what how faith does this, you know, yeah. and, uh, and and so it was. We we had such a wonderful cast that that got us through that, and I mean, like even on the last week in Chicago, they spent ten thousand dollars on one of our understudies' dresses because she was an understudy for one of the three leads. So I mean, they they were still like, okay, we're going, but then come to find out, once we got back to New York, our final paycheck came out of what's called the escrow. And, and basically that means that producers put up an escrow that if something goes wrong, if something, you know, that, that everyone can get paid. And if you ever get paid out of the escrow, it means something has happened. There, there's some financial. So we had to like go to the office, pick up our checks, sign for, you know, so it was like, it was like a thing. And once, once we knew that, I think that's when all the actors knew what maybe some of the creative team already knew behind yeah. the scenes some of the producers, that the show just was not really going to go any further at that point. Now, later on, we, we find out that there had been some embezzling, that maybe some people got some money that they shouldn't have and took some money. And so th- th- there was that rumor about things happening. So obviously things had gone on behind the scenes that were just... Because creatively, it, it got mixed reviews in Chicago, fair enough. Mm-hmm. But the show itself was solid. And it was one of the few musicals where the book was so good mm. and so funny. Yeah, the movie so was it, so funny. So they... Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you, you take that movie and then you add Mary Bloodworth Thompson, which is from Designing Women. She wrote mm-hmm. that show. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, that feisty female banter that just, you know, of strong women was just throughout and so funny. Mm. Yeah. It, it, so it really was a shame that it never, that it never blossomed into a Broadway show. Ah, oh, such a bummer. But I feel good things coming from your way. And I feel, (laughs) I feel something happening. And I, I I mentioned before, like you've kept yourself pretty busy throughout the quarantine with the podcast, as well as with some virtual readings. Um, So in terms of like what you're looking forward to the most, like what do you miss the most (laughs) about the, the world that used to be? I mean, it really comes down to, I, I mean, auditions are, are never a favorite thing, but mm-hmm. I got to say, I miss them at this mm-hmm. point. I mean, yeah, self-tapes are one thing and there, there is some satisfaction that can be, oh, great. I, I did a good self-tape. I'm proud of that. And you send it in, but there's another energy in the room that you can't create in the self-tape, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so I actually miss going to Midtown, going to the, the waiting area, being called in, walking in, you know, smiles, seeing, you know, that kind of process that we go through day in and day out. I, it's just, it was just stopped, cut off mm-hmm. completely. And so I actually miss that. And, and then of course, seeing shows because my husband and I really aren't moviegoers. We go and see shows. Like, mm-hmm. so that's our form of entertainment. So mm-hmm. in, in both of those instances, I will be very much looking forward to New York getting back to normal in that respect. 
I think we all are. Yeah. Oh, it'll happen. It's going to happen. Yeah, it will happen. It's happen. Just, uh, it's just going to be when. a minute. It's just going to be a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so where do you see yourself in 10 years? Ah, you know, it's interesting. Like if you'd asked me, you know, even a couple of years ago, I would say, you know, on, on Broadway, uh, in, in, in some musical and really in, in the throes of that, because I've found, and even in the interviews that I've had, once you book a Broadway show, it's easier to book the next one. It's getting Mm -hmm. that first one. That's really that hurdle. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a matter of continuing on and, and, and progressing in that. So that would be like well, well, that's where I see myself. I'm I'm a Broadway performer. That's what I do. I'm I'm able to to then parlay that into you know doing other concerts. It, it it just kind of then blossoms into into other opportunities. But now I still want to do Broadway, and I still know that I'm capable of it. Mm-hmm. But I also know that for the most part, it's out of my hands, mm-hmm. and I have to come to peace with well, what do I want to do? Like okay, so Broadway is a place that I want to do it. But what is that I want to do on Broadway? And that is, I want to be invested in, in, in a character that touches an audience. I want to be in a story that, that is meaning something. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes that meaning can be fluff. I've done fluff musicals that are a joy to do. And I've mm-hmm. done those that are, that are deep and dark and have a lot of, of like, like I have to go through the paces, you know, in it. So it, it, it can run the gamut of that, but I've stopped letting Broadway be the end all be all. And mm-hmm. I really want to be someone who, who is working, but is, is working in such a way that, that I'm, I'm meeting the creative and, and artistic side of myself that doesn't depend on the place. It just depends on the, the what, you know, it depends mm-hmm. on that, that particular play or musical. And that's what I'm trying to do more of. And before the pandemic, I was, I was being more selective with the kind of shows, with the kind of roles that I would go out for, so that I'm not just saying yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a bit more like yes, 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 just mm-hmm. <laughs> just give me something. Yeah. But 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 eventually, yeah, I'll, I'll be able to to get back to being more selective. And there, there were even times that you know th- this big show would come along, and I'd be like, that's not really. That's not really what I do. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to do that work, but I'd rather do this. You mm-hmm. know, like like one for example, one of my favorite shows is Peter and the Starcatcher, and mm-hmm. there was going to be this big big production of it, and they wanted to bring me in for Lord Astor. Now, I have auditioned in many iterations, Broadway, Off Broadway, tour for Black Stash because I know I am Black Stash. Mm-hmm. Like like when it comes to again, I was talking about connecting to a character. Mm-hmm. I I love the character and connect to it. And my auditions always went so well and was called back each time. However, they were bringing me in for Lord Astor. And I was like, well, I would like to audition for Black Stacks. Well, well, we're not really thinking of you for that, but how about Lord Astor? And I turned it down. I was like, all I know is if I do book it, I'm just going to be watching Black Stash, that whole rehearsal process, performance. I mean, why can't I do that? And, yeah. then, and then I'm not having any fun. Yeah. Now I'm in a better place where I think, you know what? Lord Astor would be a fun role to do. So it, it's, there are different places where we find ourselves in our career where we can, sometimes it's not the right time or yeah. emotionally, I'm not ready for that, but I, I have a bigger vision now and I'm not so focused on Broadway that it excludes everything else. I'm able mm-hmm. to, to take a wider view of what my career can be. Well, I think it's, I think it's just expansive. It's expansive. And I look forward. I I certainly hope so. (laughs) I look forward to the realms that you keep diving into. May more commercial work come your way. May more of singing opportunities as well as voiceover. You just have such a great voice. Such a great voice. And so I wish nothing but... I appreciate that. (laughs) May more abundance keep flowing your way, my friend. Thank you, Ashley. It's it's you're such welcome. a joy to talk to you. You're you're a light yourself. Ah, stop. So it's just I, my lights in my room. <laughs> right. No, no, but I but you're you're a joy to talk to. So it's a pleasure to to open up and kind of dig into these issues. I like it. Yeah, I agree. All right, my friend. I thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Ashley. It's thank been you a for pleasure. Being here. I appreciate it.
So if you've enjoyed this episode, which you probably have because you listen all the way to the end, go ahead and go to Patrick's website, which is P-O-J-O-N-E-S dot com, P-O-Jones dot com, and you can actually get his brand new book. He's got a short book that's available online. It's a collection of some of the things that he's learned while doing the podcast, and it's super inspirational, and I highly suggest it. So check that out. Patrick, thank you for coming on the show. I just think you're such a terrific man and uh, you guys if you need a coach reach out to patrick he's the bomb.com all righty talk soon bye-bye see what i mean ashley really is a hoot and you can follow her at fyourfears.com to listen to more of her episodes well i'm your ever grateful host patrick oliver jones come back and join me next week on a brand new episode as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.